0: be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. Tell you what, that's got a lot of, yeah, very, very wordy. Amen. But nonetheless, John 17, and I want to speak to you tonight. Last, last week we talked about a prayer for holiness. Tonight, I want to talk about the scope of holiness, the scope. Amen. We're not talking about mouthwash or anything like that, but the scope of holiness. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I love you tonight. God, thank you, Lord Jesus, for your many blessings, Lord, upon our lives. God, we're grateful for the opportunity to be here this evening. God, to center our lives around your word. Lord Jesus, for in them we believe we have life, God, and they are. They are the words that speak of you. And I pray, Jesus, you are to help us, God, as we look into the word of the Lord. in John, again, Jesus, that you are able to speak into our lives. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Everyone say amen. You may be seated in Jesus' name. So this prayer of Jesus turns yet again upon another hinge. He's prayed for himself, which was really praying that his father would get the glory or that God would get the glory. He's prayed for his disciples, those Uh, Twelve that he had called and chosen. And now he prays not only for the disciples of his generation, but for them that will become disciples in future generations. He prays for them that will believe uh, uh, due to the disciples' message, due to the words that they'll speak and the words that they share. So once again, this development, this development happens, these others of other generations coming to know the Lord, serve the Lord, believe in the Lord. This development happens because of the word of God. And I think that is so important to underscore, amen, that this happens because of the word of God. Jesus gave the first generation of disciples God's word we we see that in verse number 14 of this chapter that we've been studying he 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 said in his prayer that I gave them your word and so he had given them uh, the disciples of his generation God's word and as a result of this the scripture even says that word sanctified them it sanctified them it set them apart it it uh, separated them if you will and as a result of that that caused them to be rejected or hated by the world. And so uh, the supposition is that the word that they received will be the word that they shared with others. In other words, that the word that the, the first, this first generation of disciples received from the Lord, that that will be the word that they will share with their generation, even future generations. It will be that same word. And so that same word then... That same word that Jesus even gave, that same word when it is believed on, which we know through John, believe is more than just uh, you know, faith or some mental assent. Belief is obedience. And to do that is to obey. So the same word, when that word is believed on or when that word is obeyed, it will likewise sanctify, set apart, separate unto the Lord a people, and it will cause the world to hate and reject them as well. This same word. So you got to get this. The first generation of disciples, they are set apart by the word that was given to them by the Lord. It sanctified them. It set them apart. And the Lord's praying. He says, now I pray, Lord, not just for these, but for those that will believe on me because of these disciples' word. The same word, though. It's not changing from one generation to another generation. It is not a version 2.0 word. It's the same word, Brother Fred. The same word with the same impact. The same word with the same effect. Oh, I'm so glad that God's word is powerful. So powerful that it, doesn't, it does not diminish in power through ages or generations or time. But the same effect that that word had on the early church, it has upon the church of today. If we'll obey, believe on, right, believe on that word, it will still yet separate, distinguish, set apart, amen, of people in this hour. The Bible says in Hebrews 2, and verse number three uh, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, Paul, which I believe is Paul, they, they say we really don't know who the writer of Hebrews is, for my study and I would deduce that it is Paul but Paul, who I believe is writing here, says the word the word was confirmed to his generation, the word even concerning salvation was committed or confirmed to his generation by the generation that heard salvation from Jesus Christ so it's kind of a step Jesus Christ had a word of salvation he shared that with the disciples and those disciples shared that word with Paul's generation and he's telling us who are we how shall we escape if we neglect what's been spoken to us in our generation that came from those that heard it first from the Lord Jesus Christ folks we could play with this and go further and further along there would be a lot from them, from them, from them, but if we could stay in this day. How in the world shall we escape if we neglect the word concerning salvation today? That was spoke to us by our generation. That was spoke by their generation. That was spoke by their generation. That was spoke by their generation. Spoke by their generation, spoke by their generation, all the way back to those who first heard it from the Lord Jesus Christ. See, awesome thing about this word: we are not. We're not trying to add to. We're not trying to take away. We're not trying to make it culturally acceptable. We're trying to propagate, this is the apostles' doctrine. We are trying to propagate the same word that the Lord spoke to his disciples, that they spoke then to theirs, and on and on from generation to generation. How shall we escape if we ignore that? How shall we escape if we ignore this? It isn't, it isn't a different word. It's the same word that Christ had spoke and conveyed to his generation and then the next and then the next and then the next. The Bible says then what we must do, little little, one chapter in Jude that has a, a verse of scripture that, that is very, very uh, good and I believe applicable here is that as Jude said, we must earnestly contend for the faith which was once... Delivered unto the saints several other translations say that phrase like this which was once for all delivered Which was once for all Delivered meaning that the message of the first disciples to the next generation of disciples would not differ one Iota from the original message of the Lord Jesus Christ with what he shared with his Disciples and so as a result again the impact is the same And the consecrating effect, the holiness effect, would be the same as well. Amen. I don't know, Bishop, maybe part of the problem with holiness is today, that people have somehow altered, contaminated the original word because the original word had no problem in its sanctifying power. And I, I listen. I'm, and I'm not. I'm not against the, the different versions of the Bible we have out there. I know and read enough that whenever you go to translating Hebrew and translating Greek, that there are a few different situations. The Greek and and the Hebrew language is so colorful that it's not just like this apple equals this apple type of scenario. I understand that, but I am saying this: there are some interpretations of what has been given originally Whew. that has made us anemic concerning holiness. Amen. Amen. And so, even even the church at Corinth, look at this if you will, and you, you can see it in 1 Corinthians 1, but the church at Corinth, they were suffering from divisions. They were suffering from strife. The early church at Corinth. There were segments of them that were given to the influence of Greek philosophy in the church at Corinth. And this was Paul's word of admonition to them. This is what the Apostle Paul urged them in 1 Corinthians 1.10. He urged them. He says, I urge you. He told them that ye all speak the same thing. See, there was a big pool of Greek philosophy being muddled and mixed with the original word. There's division, there's strife. Paul said, I, I, got, I got a little, uh, uh, some advice for you that you all need to speak the same thing. What had happened? What had happened had been the Hebrews 2, one thing, they had let slip the original word the Bible the Bible talks about that we need to be careful that we don't let slip that which is that which we have learned that we need to know we need not let that slip and we also need to know from whom we have learned it that's Hebrews 2 1 he said you you need not let slip what you've learned and you also need to know from from where you learned it in other words you need to know that you got a a good reliable source Mm-hmm. He said, "Don't don't let that slip." And so Paul was dealing with the church at Corinth. They were letting the original word slip because of their day was the Greek philosophy. Could I say that was popular? That was popular. That a lot of other people were going to places like Mars Hill and Athens, and they were sitting around and asking questions of one another and philosophizing. And that had that had made headway into the church at Corinth. And they mixed and muddled that with the word. And as a result, of that there's, there's divisions and there's strife, amen, going on in the church. And so Paul knew this. He knew that if I can get them to speak the same thing, amen, primarily the original word, the same word, that word would help remedy any division among them and keep the separation where it ought to be, not within the church but between what is his and what is not his. Amen, someone say amen, between them and the world. And so we, we can't though tonight, we can't detach these verses from what Jesus has been praying about thus far. In chapter number 17, the verses I read to you tonight, we can't detach them from what he has already been praying. Because remember from last week, he, and he, he reiterates some things even in this section, praying for them that would believe upon him according to the disciples' word. He's been praying for his disciples' oneness, and he even prays for the, the, the future disciples' Oneness, he prays for their oneness and remember both God's name, nature, and his word, amen. For the disciples, it kept them, amen. It kept them while they were journeying through a world that was filled with evil. And he hopes, no doubt, for the very same keeping protective power for future generations because the world's not going to get better. I think Timothy's the one that spoke that evil men will wax worse. Yes. All right, it's not going to get better. We're going to need the same protection. I'll be to say right now, we might need an even better, pro- more defined, maybe that's the word, more defined lines. Well, glory. Amen. Then what they even needed a four times. And so Jesus' prayer then for his disciples' holiness wasn't a request for just his disciples alone. That request had implications for them that would believe uh, upon the Lord by his disciples teaching and preaching by their word. To believe through their word, that first generation of disciples' word, doesn't only encompass now their preaching and their teaching which mirrored Jesus' teaching and Jesus' preaching but it also relates to their written word because many of them, of those first, first disciples, apostles, many of them were writers of New Testament books as they were inspired by the Holy Ghost. Right? The Apostle Paul himself, right, somewhere around two thirds of the New Testament attributed to Paul, he said, I pray for them, Lord, that will believe because of their word. Not just their teaching and preaching, but their word, when put in written form, outlived their lifetime and this is a side note, maybe this is because of everything I've been doing, that alone really made a light bulb go off inside of me why it's so important of having apostolic Pentecostal authors because there will be generations that will believe because of their word, they're dead, but they yet speaketh because... Because someone picks up a book from centuries ago and here's the thing. You don't have to say, well, that was written 50 years ago. That's not relevant. But when the subject matter centers around this, I don't care if it's 50 years ago, 100 years ago, the relevancy is gonna be there because it's about the original word. And so what, what comes through their word? Because all scripture is given by, the Bible says, the inspiration of God or it is all God-breathed and it's profitable, the scripture says, for doctrine. That's what, our, that's what the Bible says. And so we, we are in a great position here today. We're in a great position, all of us. Someone say, I am. I am. We are in a great position today as a witness because the, 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 the scope of holiness is so vast. We got our own little you know, cutouts and subtopics of what we believe it all is. But it's so vast. We're in a great position as a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know that there's probably a lot of people feel like, well, that's not me, brother brother McGee. I'm being a witness, it's not my gifting. It's not, but it's your calling. It's it's our calling and I know many people feel intimidated in that respect. But we, I want to tell you tonight that we have a lot of things going for us. Number one, because I'm talking about this verse here. Those that will believe upon, I pray for those that will believe on their word. We have a lot of things going for us, Sister Sheila. Because in our good old Gospel of John study, he said it more than one time. But in John 12, 23, Jesus said, and I... If I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. The next verse says, he said this signifying by what what death he should die. Calvary, being lifted up on the cross, just as the fiery serpent was lifted up on the pole for the curing of those that had been bitten by the snake in the Old Testament is another place in scripture. However, however, This in John, Sister Pat, I don't believe just relates to John's generation. He said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men. It wasn't just a natural drawing of people to the cross that Jesus was just alluding to. He said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men. It was the drawing of Jesus Christ upon the souls of humanity from that point of time forward. Wait, what are you talking about? What are you saying? I'm saying this. What that means is this. When you witness, when you share the word, when you preach, when you teach, we can do so tonight based upon that solitary fact with great confidence that the drawing power of Christ is already upon the people. He said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw. He didn't say, he didn't give a selection of a certain race kind. No, he said all men, which is for all humanity, not just males. And to me, we have great confidence then. There's not any of us that ever have to approach anybody. I don't care how many degrees on the thermometer they have, how much they know about quote-unquote Bible or anything like that. Whenever you witness and speak the word, you know what? Christ has already been working on them before they was born from Calvary forward, drawing, oh, you say, brother, no, no, no. As hard-nosed as they may seem, as opposed they are, they may seem, there's a drawing power that's been in action for a long time. Right? Because so the Scripture says nobody can come unto the Lord. No one can come to Jesus, he said, except the Father draws them or except the Spirit draws them. And his drawing power is out. So we're in a good position. Our word is in a good Number one, it's original. But number two, there's a drawing power for it. Number three, I guess, or number two, however way you want to number what I've been saying here. Nonetheless, Christ himself has already prayed for these people. That's what he's doing here in John 17. He's praying for them that would believe. He's already prayed for these people amen, concerning the word that would be spoken to them and their response to that word. The apostle Paul admonished us, he said, to pray for all men because Scripture says, this is 1 Timothy 2, and like verses 1 through 4, Paul admonished us to pray for all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Pray for all men because God's will is that all men would to be saved folks you are joining in 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 the saddle with the lord jesus christ when you pray for the salvation and you reach for the salvation of men you're working in tandem with god's will because it's his will that all men would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth so you, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to put your lip down on the ground or tuck your tail between your legs. You are working in tandem with the Spirit of God. You are working in conjunction with the Spirit. He wants what you're doing. Oh, yeah. that all would come to the knowledge of truth. And what is truth? Our John 17, 17, right here, right? Saying that I am through thy truth, thy word is truth. So Jesus wants to continue in the world what he did in the world. Really what it comes down to. He wants to continue in the world what he did in the world. So why did you come, Lord? I came to seek and save that which was lost. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. I came to give my life a ransom for many. But what he wants is us to go about in the same way, meaning with the same word, and he wants that nature and that name of the church. I'm not talking about first apostolic church, I'm talking about the church. To emulate, to correspond to the same that he possessed, that same nature and that same name that he had. 1 John 4 tells us, because as he is, so are we in the world. Amen. So the purpose, again, of this prayer is far-reaching. He prays for them impacted by the word of his disciples, that they will be one, and that the world will believe that Jesus had been sent from God. There is an element here of Jesus wanting the world to know. Listen, Jesus wanting the world to know that God loves them, and he wants them to know that salvation is through him. I want, I, want, I want them to have this oneness, yes. But I want them also, he says, <laughs> I want them to know that I was sent of God. Why? It's the very crux of the verse that society by and large knows best of John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But what does verse 17 say? For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Christ says, I'm praying not only that they will believe upon you, Not only that there are those that come to know you in the future, not only that they will believe, not only that they'll become one, but they'll also know that I was sent from you. And what was the purpose for him being sent? To save the world. Someone say amen. So Jesus speaks of a oneness. We look at that in verse number 11. He speaks of a oneness among the first grouping of the disciples, but now he prays for a oneness of the future disciples. Not just a oneness among them, and let maybe maybe I need to read it here, verse number 20, uh, one more time, 20, 21, somewhere in there, yeah, 20. Neither, I know we haven't got very far, have we, sorry. Neither pray I for these alone, speaking of the first generation of disciples, but for them, next generation disciples, which also shall believe on me through their word, verse 21, that they... This isn't just referring to the next generation. It's the next generation and the first generation. That they all may be one. You following me here? So he wants a oneness among his disciples. He wants a oneness among the next group of disciples. But he wants a oneness between these groups of disciples. How in the world one die and the other one? They could be dead, but for these are alive. I am at one standing here tonight in this church with generations of men and women that went before me that's already dead in the grave because I still hold common our doctrine our lifestyle Christ says I'm praying that there's a oneness oh Lord help me that they prayed the same prayers that the generations before prayed that they baptized the same way that the generations before, even before 325 A.D. Pre- baptized. No, no, I'm, t- I'm talking about 3033 A.D. I- I'm talking... I'm talking about the original. That, 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 that. So I'm praying for the future believers that there's a oneness among them through the generations of believers Amen. Amen. I don't want the Apostolic Pentecostal Church to be studied in future generations and then them go back 50 years and study it of that generation and they are dissimilar among themselves. Oh, brother, we got more enlightenment. We got greater... Uh, we got a progressive revelation if your revelation progresses outside the lines of this it's not revelation it's an illusion amen here's the thing though these future disciples they will be without the man Christ Jesus in the flesh but they will not be without the spirit of Christ they're without the man Christ Jesus, but they will not be without the spirit of Christ. They, they will not be without the word and the works of Christ. They will not be without the gospel of Christ. There will be a oneness or a wholeness, right? When something's one, it's whole, it's, it's complete. There'll be a wholeness because the same holiness, the same name, the same nature The same word will have consecrated them all, both the old generation and the new generation. By what were you saved? What spirit were you baptized with? And what body were you baptized into? The same body, the same spirit. Someone say amen. Does not Ephesians tell us over and over again how we are to walk worthy of the vocation to which we have been called and when it begins to speak all of that it speaks of the church that we are a part of one faith one Lord one baptism one hope of our calling one Father and God who is above all through all and in you all what Amen so the oneness I may have said this last week, but the oneness of the church is due to the holiness of the church. Again, we're baptized into one spirit, one body. The Bible says, as one body in Christ and everyone or individually members one of another. Oneness with each other is our oneness with him. We are one, and thus we are holy. From here forward, from here forward, we keep... We guard, the Bible says in Ephesians 4, 3, keeping the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Keep. Didn't tell us to create it. Didn't tell us to manufacture it. Told us to keep the unity, and the unity is tethered to his holiness. Keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of the peace. Matter of fact, what Spirit are we talking about? The Holy Spirit. (laughs) We're to keep the unity of the Holy Spirit. Spirit in the bond of peace. Keep it. Someone say keep it. Amen. Keep it. That's going to require some oneness. That's going to require continued holiness. That's going to require something that remains the same. Same name. Same nature. Same word. Right. You. You've seen the... You've, you've seen the illustration stuff before people you know go get a master copy of something let's just see a key whether it's a real copy that you do on a copy machine you lay it down you copy it right if you took a copy of the copy and then a copy of a copy and a copy of a copy it's going to be degraded in its quality if you were to you go get a key done and if you kept getting the key done off a key that was done I know it seems seamless and perfect But there's tolerances in every machine. I don't care how even good they are today. Over time, if you continued in that line, it's not going to fit somewhere along the way. It's not going to unlock. Someone say amen. Hallelujah. We got to keep her guard. Uh Uh-huh. Well... Let's do, you know, let's just treat this like cafeteria line and let's do it all a cart. If I want green beans, I'll take green beans. If I don't want mashed potatoes, I'll just slide them by. If I want, you know, a ribeye, I'll get a ribeye. But whenever the whole line is all and everything that he is, and you just tailor, well, I'll take that because I like that. And that's suiting to my palate. And this is, but not that, no, no. Someone say amen. amen. No, 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 we, We've got to keep, we've got to safeguard the, the unity, yeah. the wholeness of this thing. The marvel of holiness is that it takes people of different races, cultures, backgrounds, yeah. and sets them at one around the core of commonalities. Again, like I said earlier in Ephesians, one spirit, one body, one hope, one faith, one Lord, one baptism, so on and so forth. Not only is holiness causing the oneness of the church, and here's where I'm broadening out the scope of holiness. Not only does it impact and cause the oneness of the church, it affects the evangelism of the church. At least that's what Jesus is praying for here. Hmm? For those that will believe. By who? By these, they have the original word that's taken on the original name, nature. Holiness affects oneness, which in turn impacts evangelism. Jim Wallace just came across this this week. Jim Wallace said in his book, The Call to Conversion, he says, without distinctive holiness evangelism loses some of its power and authority. In an article for the Journal of Academy for Evangelism, Jack Jackson said this. He said, at the same time, Christian holiness does not in and of itself proclaim the gospel. In our postmodern culture words, in our postmodern culture words, as incomplete as they are, must be used to communicate the gospel. He says, but holy living in turn, authenticates those words. In other words, I understand. What's saying is this. You just can't get the idea that all you ever have to do is just live the life and that thou be a witness within itself. He's saying there's going to be times you're going to have to use your words. He says, but this is where the holiness comes in play. When you speak your word, the way that you live your life authenticates what you said. It proves It supports, it underscores, it backs up, it emboldens. That's the reason why holiness is in evangelism because there's a lot of people speaking things with their words, but they have no righteousness, they don't have no right living to back up, prove, underscore, demark, highlight, put quotations. Or, Jesus, I don't, I'm just not sending you with that holiness is going to impact your oneness it's going to impact your evangelism look at it look at it folks did not back in John 15 when I gotta hurry did not back in John 15 where we looked at the whole analogy I am the vine and you are the branches and we talked about abiding in him and us in him right, right? that the only way that there's fruit that comes up on the end of the branch is because the branch is connected to the vine and then whatever is in the vine, all the essence of the vine, all the nutrients of the vine that come from its roots all the way up is fed back into the branch because there's a connection. Huh? But there will be no fruit of any value unless the branch stays connected and abides in the vine. Amen? Because that abide, us abiding in him and him abiding in us safeguards the fruit is safeguards that were not cut off. Stated within a few verses, I get a hurry. Stated within a few verses, verses 21 and 23, namely, Jesus is very adamant, he states it more than once, 21 and 23, he states adamant about the world, knowing he was sent of God. He wants them to know that the same love God has loved him with, that he loves the world with and that this love think with me for a moment this love shouldn't be a surprise to the church because throughout scripture in in Corinthians and Ephesians some of the epistles we understand that the church is the bride of Christ now what groom doesn't love what groom doesn't love his bride an idiot does that's what what groom for that matter he might not they might never make it to husband and wife. Amen. And so, so, so he says, this, this is no surprise that there should be this love toward them because they are the bride of Christ. As a matter of fact, amen, the church, those disciples that even will come have been given to the Lord Jesus Christ for his bride. The apostle Paul said something similar to this effect in 2 Corinthians eleven two. 2, as he spoke to the church at Corinth. He says, for I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin virgin to Christ. And he says, so see, I've set you aside, I've espoused you, I've betrothed you, amen, to one husband, even Christ. So yes, yes, amen, God in Christ, through Christ, is going to love those that are his. Amen. But Jesus wants the disciples, look now, if we go just a little further now down, Jesus wants the disciples to go, to heaven he comes back to this something that he said earlier when he talked about in my father's house are many mansions if it were not so I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you that where I am there you may be he goes back to this idea he wants these disciples to go to heaven amen trying to find where what verse I'm in right now hallelujah Verse number 24, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. Yeah. He's not speaking about the present. He's talking about, because he's already been talking a little, very uh, futuristic because the work's already done and this has taken place and that's happened. He says, where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, and thou loved me from the foundation of the world. He's referring to this glory that he had from the very beginning of time. And so Jesus wants the disciples to go to heaven. Again, it's only proper for the groom to want to take his bride home with him. Again, he told them, I prepared a place for you. So Christ desires that his disciples, those that will believe, that they would be where he is and experience the fullness of his glory. Boy, I want that. Because right now I have a spirit inside. I mean, right now I have the earnest of my inheritance as one of the epistles says it, the earnest of my inheritance. Uh, I think it is in Corinthians, and Bishop, I know years ago, or at least in my lifetime, I've heard him talk about this so much, talking about how that spirit, it's Christ in us, the, the Bible says, the hope of glory. Colossians, I believe it is. The hope of glory. Our hope of glory now will be realized and totally materialized glory at the catching away of the church. Mm -hmm. The glory of Jesus. Is everybody doing okay? The glory of Jesus was seen in the word being made flesh. We beheld his glory as the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth however being humans in these bodies still have this adamic nature that my soul is attached to corinthians 13 tells us first corinthians 13 tells us that right now we see through a glass darkly but then speaking of that day then face the face even in the life of Jesus Christ his flesh veiled yeah they seen the glory because he was manifest in the flesh no one had seen God at any time but at the same time that flesh veiled a certain essence or part of the fullness of the glory of God but someday soon 1 John 3 says we may not know how everything will be But we know that in that day, someday soon, when we see him, we'll see him as he is, the scripture says. And Christ wants the disciples to come to where he is so that they might see the fullness of his glory. Hmm. We're partakers now. We did our study in, in the book of uh, uh, First and Second Peter. We talked about how we are partakers of his divine nature by receiving the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, which is his divine power. So we receive his divine nature by receiving his divine power. Hallelujah. But we also have in this life, the Bible speaks of in 2 Corinthians 3, that we're changed from glory to glory. We're changed from glory to glory until our final change comes. Huh? Whenever he speaks about uh, the the trumpet shall sound in the book of Corinthians, and he says, We're going to do this, he says, Until our change, until our change comes. I think it was Job maybe that said that. He said, I am where I am, but he said, There's coming a day, I'm waiting until my change comes. He was going through agony and despair and thought he was going to die. And and he even talked about, I know my redeemer liveth and all these things. He was speaking about resurrection. He says, I know I'm going to remain as so until my final change comes. But the Bible does tell us concerning the catching of the church that we shall be changed from corruptible to incorruptible, from mortal to immortality. And we will bear the image of the one that we have served all of these, these years. The fullness of his glory. You got to hurry up. Someone say hurry. Yeah, no one did. All right. Praise God. Or I interrupted you as you were saying it. Amen. Verse 25. Verse 25, there's a lot of knowledge going on. Man, so much knowledge. Yep. The world hath not known. I have known. These have known. All kinds of knowledge going on in verse 25. So there's, there's different aspects of knowledge happening here. The world, he says, the world doesn't know God. Right, Jesus knows God. And the disciples know that God sent Christ. So the world doesn't know God because they did not accept the words and the works of Jesus. They don't know God because they rejected Jesus. And Jesus was the declaration, the revelation of God. Back to John 1. So they didn't know God because they did not accept the words and the works of of Jesus Christ because the words and the works of Jesus Christ were the words and the works of God that's what we've we've already studied that in John here but Jesus knows God Hmm. namely because Jesus is God manifest in the flesh the disciples know that God sent Christ they said certain things like no man could do these things unless God be with him. And this knowledge and reality was a long time in coming. Because in the previous chapter, they even start to declare how, yeah, you're not speaking to us in parables. You are from God. They're starting to take a foothold in their life. Now, look, and I'm, I just got a little bit left. All right. A little bit. And I and I was thinking today and I was so proud of myself. I kind of squelched back on the number, pages of notes I have, thought, well, I'll probably get finished early, and that had not happened. has not happened. So it don't matter if I got five or ten pages. It just don't, it just, I don't know. Internal time clock in me, I don't know what it is. Verse 11, Jesus says, Holy Father. Remember, that was particular just to John. In verse 25, he says, Righteous Father. Holy Father, righteous Father. This is very interesting to me. Maybe not you very interesting to me. Holy father, righteous father. Again, there's some of this playing together of righteousness and holiness. And I want to see where they're married together for God himself. In Isaiah 5 and verse number 16, I think that one may be up there. It's the second part that I'm really interested in. But, but the Lord of hosts shall be exalted in judgment, and God that is holy shall be sanctified. In righteousness. Some other versions of that last phrase there. New International Readers version says. The holy God will prove that he is holy by doing what is right. Righteousness is just right living. The Christian Standard Bible is. And the holy God demonstrates his holiness through his righteousness. We got a connection here. We got a tie here. A holy God does righteously. If I receive his holiness, because there is no holiness of our own. The only holiness there is God. Anything else that is stated holy is only holy because some relationship or connection it has to God. It's not holy by itself. It derives its holiness from God. And so if I'm holy, I have some connection. I'm deriving that from God. But with God, his holiness is proved and demonstrated through his righteousness. If it's true of the source. It must be or should be true of the branch. Mm, What does that mean? My holiness is not my own, but I derive it from him. But as God proves and demonstrates his, his holiness through his righteousness, me being trying to grow up into the fullness and the measure of the stature of the Lord Jesus Christ, that should also be reflected in my own life. If the holiness of God is proven and demonstrated by doing right or his right living, then how much more should ours? Again, Jesus confirms that. He declared, he revealed God's name, his nature by this same way. His right living Pointed to holiness. The Bible says in Hebrews 7 and verse 26, for such an high priest, speaking of Christ, became us. Or that can be on those like became us. I didn't become a high priest. For such a high priest became us, or for such a high priest indeed was fitting for us. It's way it translated out when you take the words into consideration. Who is holy? Speaking of our high priest, Christ Jesus, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Jesus was holy. Mm -hmm. He was distinguished. He was set apart by his right living. Harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. The name and nature of God was expressed in the way that he lived his life. And you know what happened? The world of his generation picked up on it. Or they wouldn't say those words, never a man spoke like this. Why? They're saying, your speech is different from other people's. This this attribute about you is different than They picked up. They picked up on something. So Jesus declared it, stand with me, you'll help. Jesus declared it, he says, I've declared this in verse 26. I have declared it unto them, what? Well, he's declared the name, he's he's declared the message, the word, I've declared it and will declare it. He declared it, past tense, all through his earthly ministry. He will declare it from this point forward. No doubt Calvary is going to be a declaration of it, just as much as his life declared it. His death declared it. The greatest, the greatest declaration of the name and the nature and the word of God, one of them, I should say, was to happen at Pentecost. The Bible says in John three, that the Father loves the Son, has given all things into his. Hand. and Jesus wants the love God has for him to be in them he has given him he wants it to be in his disciples and he tells them how this will happen this is a great little verse actually the last verse he tells them how it will happen that the love we with thou hast loved me may be in them and he tells us how it happened and I in them Jesus will never make God any more known than he is in his disciples by virtue of having received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It will be no, no greater declaration of his word, his name, his nature, this oneness, this, all this, as it is in receiving the Holy Ghost and then live in your life in obedience to the Spirit that you have received. The Amplified Bible sums up that last verse like this, or at least a portion of it, and I close. I have made your name known to them and revealed your character and your very self, and I will continue to make you known. So there is a scope of holiness, scope of holiness that goes beyond separation and consecration and dedication. It goes beyond that. It goes to our oneness, our unity, our wholeness, W-H-O-L-E, wholeness, our evangelism, our witness. This is why Christ is so purposeful using some of his last hours praying for that because the scope of it is so vast and so broad. It encompasses more than just what you think it does. So yes, I want to be holy as he's holy. It's going to bring a wholeness to the body of every generation and it's going to empower our witness. How many times have you ever heard, well, no sense in going there because there is just the same as what I am see God does this big change in your life but they do the same things that I'm doing without God they'll never darken the church house door why because the lack of holiness has ruined a witness oh, I better close spirit of the Lord we come to you tonight God, I'm thankful, Lord Jesus, unto you. I need you, Jesus. God, I'm unable, Lord, to do be... that. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.